Well, hey, good morning. How are you guys? Wasn't Johnny Diaz awesome? It was really cool. It's really cool to have him here. I love this parallel that Ashley made. There's these people that gave their lives for somebody else's freedom. They fought to provide freedom for someone else. That's amazing. That's amazing. Think about that. Think about that. Will you all stand with me? I want to read God's word. You stand. This is in Ephesians 6. And Paul is getting to the end of Ephesians. And if you've been with us and you've heard a little bit about our series in Ephesians, you know that Paul is just trying to, to get to them and say, you have power. You have power and you are rich in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to read this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, in his mighty power. Not in your own strength, but in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That part where it says devil's schemes is methodical. Satan is methodical and he is your enemy and he knows how to get to God's people. So put on the full armor of God. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Guys, there is a battle going on all around us beyond what we can see, taste, or sense. There's things happening that we never even know about. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. You see, in the Greek, we don't really capture this. You're like, is he just repeating himself again? But this is what he's trying to say. Be on alert. It's this imperative thing. Be on alert. And it's also this picture of you've been fighting, now keep fighting. You know, usually in an attack, that first wave comes in, but it's usually the second wave that your enemy tries to defeat you. Be ready for the second wave that comes in. Have the full armor of God on and stand. You see, they had these sandals that had spikes in them, and it would, they would have sure footing, and they would stand against the powers of darkness. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You can be seated. I don't know what happens, but when you become a parent, suddenly you start asking the silly questions that your parents asked you, you know? You know how that is? And it, it's so weird. Like, and this one's probably not as silly as anything, but I, my four-and-a-half-year-old um, girl, Ellie, I ask her, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? She's four-and-a-half, and I'm asking her what she wants to be when she grows up. It's like a prerequisite to become a parent that you ask, like, you know, what are you going to do in life? You know, what are you going to be when you grow up? And it was really cool. I asked her, I'm like, so Ellie, what are you going to be when you grow up? And she kind of looked, and you could tell, like, you know, the gears were kind of winding around. She was thinking about it. She kind of looked off, and she said, you know, Daddy, I, I just think 
I think I just want to be a kid right now. And I was like, I was like, you do that. You're my baby girl, and I'm, you're going to stay my baby girl. You're going to stay a kid. But you know, as you get older, you begin to think, what did my life mean? What was it all about? Did I really make a difference? Did I really make a difference? What would your last will and testament look like? What would it say? You know, in this book in the Bible called Second Timothy, Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. They, they were like father and son. And he's writing to Timothy, and he says this, Timothy, my life is ready to be poured out like a drink offering. And what that was is back in the, in the time of the Romans, they had a ritual at the end of a meal that they would pour out all the wine to, to signal that the banquet had ended. He's basically saying, my time is up. I'm finished. I'm going to be with the Lord. And what he says after this is really cool. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. You see, earlier in 1 Timothy, he told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Of all the things that Paul could say when he's getting ready to go be with the Lord, he says, fight the good fight. You see, there is a battle going on all around us. There is a battle going on all around you. You may not know this, but you are in enemy territory. You see, even though that the earth and everything in it is the Lord's, Satan right now owns the world system. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to deceive, and he hates God's people. He hates the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And he wants to deceive. And his biggest deception for believers is that they don't realize that they are in a fight, that they are in a battle, that we have all the time in the world. And so here's Paul, Timothy, fight the good fight. You are in a fight. You are in a battle, in a struggle. You are in enemy territory. When God has called you out, when you said, I'll follow you, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, place your Holy Spirit in me, you were singled out. Satan is like, oh man, I have an enemy. And he has methodically wants to attack you and I. But his biggest deception is to get us distracted, to get us in a place where we don't realize there is a battle going on, that there's a fight for our marriages, our church, our lives. There's a battle going on. I love what Jesus said. He said he came to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus said, I came to destroy the work of the devil. And I love, I think it's in John. And they're getting near Jerusalem. And Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. And he keeps telling his disciples, look, I'm going to be crucified. They're going to, they're going to take the Son of God, the Son of Man, and they're going to crucify him. And three days later, I'm going to raise from the grave. And they're like, what are you talking about? The disciples didn't get it. But I love in John when it talks about Jesus, they're walking up to the road to Jerusalem. And it says he resolutely set his heart on Jerusalem. Resolutely set his heart on Jerusalem. It was almost a picture of here's the disciples and he's speeding on ahead of them. He is resolute and going to Jerusalem because he knows that when he gets to that cross, that the powers of darkness are going to think they won. 
but it's going to be on the cross of Christ and through the power of his resurrection that he is going to defeat and disable the powers of darkness. And he is resolute in going to do the battle, to fight darkness. You are in a fight. Do you know that you're in a fight today? Or do you buy into the deception that the world's just kind of going, time's not running out, Jesus isn't coming again? You are in a fight. And guys, there's stuff going on in your life you probably don't even realize that it's probably Satan. You are in a fight. And Jesus said, I came to set the captives free, to release the prisoners. The world is enslaved by Satan. He doesn't own the world, but for a time, if he knows his time is running out, because he was defeated on the cross, and he wants to do whatever he can to destroy God's people, God's church. When you were singled out as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you have the mark that says, I belong to the Most High God. You are in a fight. You are in a battle. Are we actively destroying the work of the devil? Does that mark your life? When you go to your jobs, when you go to the places you go to, do you see that there's a spiritual reality going on that God loves people and that time is running out and people are going to hell and that he never prepared hell for people because he loves the world so much Jesus died for them? Time is running out and we are in a fight. Does that define your life? Are you here to destroy the work of the devil? Does that define TBA church? Are we destroying the work of the devil? You know, the Memorial Day thing of people giving their own lives for the freedom of somebody else. That's what destroying the work of the devil looks like. When we say, I'm going to stop living a selfish life and I am going to rescue people as Christ rescued me. I'm going to be a part of setting the captives free because I know what it's like to be a slave to sin, a slave to the world system, a slave to the flesh, a slave of the evil ones. Time is running out. You know, I watched The Hobbit last night. I got to get some nerdiness out. I do that every sermon, okay? But I love it because... You know, Bilbo is there and basically Gandalf, I'm sorry, I know I'm a dork. Just bear with me. But they're basically, you know, if you're a hobbit, you don't want any adventures. You want life to be calm and collected and nothing. And Gandalf, he he basically finds out all these dwarves come into his house that he's going to be in a battle against a dragon. And the next scene you see, like, he's kind of sitting on the thing and he's kind of shaking. He's like, I just need time to sit and think. And Gandalf looks at him and he says... You've done nothing but sit and think. And he's not talking about right then. He's saying your whole life has been about sitting and thinking. It is time to fight. Don't be deceived by Satan that there is not a fight going on, that there's not things going on in the spiritual realm. There is. Your life matters. And that may be the problem. Sometimes we just don't think we count. Who am I? in this big old world. But let me show you somebody whose life did count. And all they did were praying. You see, sometimes God rips back the veil in the Bible so that we can see the whole spiritual reality, those powers of darkness we read in our scripture just a second ago. And there's this guy named Daniel, and he's a prophet. And he's in exile in another land. And he's praying, and God's revealing these things to him. 
But in this one moment, he's praying, and he gets kind of a surprise visit from an angel. Kind of crazy. That doesn't happen when I pray, but that'd be cool. But he gets this visit by an angel, and he says, Daniel, you are respected in heaven. I've been trying to come to you, but I've been detained. I've been in this battle with this demon for 21 days. The angel of Persia has been getting me where I couldn't come to you to tell you what God wanted me to tell you. Daniel was just praying. I'm sure he didn't expect an angel to show up and like, well, there's this battle in heaven because I was praying and, and all this stuff. You see, I think God doesn't show us the big picture, but he shows us these little peaks into it. Not so much so we're trying to figure out, oh, there's these angels and demons and all this, but so that we can see that the little things, your life matters. Prayer is one of your greatest weapons, praying in the Spirit, yet we don't use it. And here's Daniel just praying, and there's a battle going on. Your life matters, and you are in a fight. His biggest deception, Satan's biggest deception we talked about, is to make us unaware of the fight. He wants us to distract us with the things of this world. He wants to make us inward focused. He wants us to believe a lie about ourselves, even though Christ has redeemed us and given us a new identity. He hates the sons and daughters of the Most High God. He hates you. He's the father of all lies. He shoots those arrows at you. And if you're like me, you don't always know it. You see, I've struggled with worry and depression my whole life. I can remember being in first grade and struggling with worry and depression. And it's been a battle my whole life. And I remember one time I was just like, Lord, why is this a constant battle? And he gave me some verses in the Psalms. And I, I hope this connects because it's one of those moments the Spirit of God just says, you need to listen to this for me. But it said this. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds, and that word surrounds is encircles, the man who trusts in him. And then in verse 22, may your unfailing love rest upon us. And it's that picture of when they were in the desert and the presence of God would rest upon his people. Even as we put our hope in you, so trust and hope. And in verse 7, in chapter 34, the angel of the Lord, which usually when they, they encountered the angel of the Lord, they thought it was an angel and then they'd realize it was the Lord God. And they'd be like, okay, I, you just got to kill me right now. I just saw the Lord so I can't live. And they would call him the angel of his presence. In camps, so again, you know, slavery out of Egypt, the desert, into the promised land, fighting. He encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. And God was just like, think about the opposite of this. When you're not trusting me, when you're not putting your hope in me, when you don't have the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit before you, your life and your heart is unguarded. It's exposed to the enemy. It's so many of us are living that way. So many of you are living that way right now. You have all this negativity and anger and stuff going in and all this stuff and circumstances of life are just coming at you and your heart is exposed and Satan wants you to doubt God's goodness. But you're not trusting and hoping so you have that guard around your heart. You're not putting your hope in him so his presence isn't resting on you. It's not that he's gone away or he doesn't love you. It's just that your heart is exposed 
And the enemy knows that. And he's shooting his arrows right at you. And we are falling for it every time. Trust in the Lord. You are in a battle. You see, we've been rescued from slavery, from our sin-corrupted flesh. Yet we don't walk in freedom. We're to give freedom to others, and we don't walk in freedom. We're to lay down our lives on the behalf of other people so they will know freedom in Christ. And yet here we are, suddenly we're free. Remember the time you were saved, how free you felt? How you gave your life to God and said, I'm yours. And then it's like we get entangled in sin. We get entangled in the world. Our hearts are exposed. We're not protected by his love or his presence. In 2 Timothy, it says kind of a weird thing that kind of catches me off guard. He's talking about some believers that were opposed to to Paul's preaching. And Paul never says that they're, you know, evil or anything like that. But he says, you know what? They've been taken captive to do Satan's will. That scares me. You mean that we could actually be doing Satan's will and not God's will? That those two kingdoms, Jesus' kingdom and Satan's kingdom we might be actually serving another kingdom than we want to, than we realize. Not, not like puppets, but I mean, when you choose negativity, when you choose anger, when you choose sin, when you choose these things, whose kingdom are you serving? Whose kingdom are you serving? Your life matters. Your life matters. We uh, did a women's retreat recently, and I'm going to use a video from it, so I have to preface this because I'll probably lose man points, all right? But I have a four and a half year old girl, and so I know every Disney princess. I'll just be upfront with you. So that's what happens, all right? But I'm watching a movie that I did want to watch. Okay, it was really good, called Tangled. And do you guys know the story of that movie of Tangled? I love it because she's stuck in this tower. She longs for freedom so much. But then she has this mom who's not her mom, Telling her she can't go out there. It's dangerous. Don't go out there. You stay here. And she stays in this tower. And of course she meets a guy. And she goes out into freedom. And so, you know, the birds are chirping. They're free. They're frolicking, you know, all this stuff. But an interesting thing happens to her. Watch this video.
mother would be so furious. That's okay. I mean, what she doesn't know won't kill her, right? Oh my gosh. This would kill her. This is so fun! I am a horrible daughter. I'm going back. I am a despicable human being. You know, I can't help but notice you seem a little at war with yourself here. What? I love that. Isn't that great? But I love, it's almost like Jesus walks up to us and says, I can see you're at war with yourself. You've tasted freedom, and yet the sin nature wants to go back to slavery. Or Satan wants to say, you know what? You belong in that tower. You're not worthy. Remember that past sin? Go back to the tower. You're not worthy. You can't be a leader. You can't serve God. You know, the children of Israel... They wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt too when they were in the desert. And sometimes life happens. And it, we doubt God's goodness. Everyone does it. But Satan comes in and says, oh, yeah, you're right. You should doubt God. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. Oh, he doesn't know the future. I know he said all things work you know, together for good for those who love and called according to his purpose. Nah, nah, nah. Nah. Go back to the tower. Go back to slavery. We're supposed to get freedom for others, and we're returning to slavery. If he can paralyze the church, if he can get the church where we've forgotten to lay down our life for others, then he's starting to win. And he's already defeated. If Satan can get God's sons and daughters to doubt, to prefer slavery over following Christ, to gossip, to be negative, to get tangled up in sexual sin, to not live free, then he's diverted us from our true mission, and that is to rescue and to fight for others who do not have freedom yet. You are free in Christ. You see, we're called the light of the world. Remember the kid's song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, that's a dangerous song, let me tell you. Because when the light of Christ shines into darkness, there will be a battle. Are you ready to let his light shine through you? Do people around you see that light? Do they encounter something different? Are you aware there's a whole spiritual reality going on? Are you negative, have a lack of joy, or like me, struggle with anger? I want to ask you something. I want you to think about this. Who are you really serving? Who are you really serving? We justify so much in our lives. But who are you really serving? Is your life a reflection of Christ's kingdom or Satan's kingdom? Think about that. Because we'd all say, I want it to be a reflection of Christ's kingdom. But when we're unforgiving, when we have anger, when we have these things, we're letting Satan get a foothold into our hearts. Here's the deal. When you sit on the sidelines, you are not in the fight for God's kingdom. When you say somebody else will do it, you are not in the fight. I just want to be real with you. 
You are not in the fight if you're on the sidelines. When you choose porn or adultery, you are bowing down to something else other than the Most High God. When you choose to stay in guilt and let Satan rob you of your joy, you're not living in the freedom of Christ. We all make mistakes. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. He didn't say perfection. He didn't say whatever it is that we try to say. He said freedom. He said freedom. When you choose negativity and unforgiveness, we paralyze the church from its true mission. That's a scary thought to me. How the little things I do, the little attitudes, the things, my opinions, could paralyze the church from its mission. You see, just like my nerdiness with the whole Bilbo, we're slaying a dragon too, the great serpent Satan. And we have to be ready for battle. Are you being used for Christ's kingdom or are you being used for Satan's kingdom? Think about that. Think about the implications. Are we derailing his church from its true mission? You see, we talked about the whole armor of God. And Paul is writing to the Ephesians. And he's writing from prison. And see, there, what you could do back in the day, in the Romans day, is that you could, if you were rich and you knew somebody that was in prison, you could buy their way into a cottage. They were still in prison, but you could buy their way out of the normal prison and into there. And that's where Paul was. And he was probably chained to a Roman soldier because if you had somebody rich enough to buy that, they would have to pay for the food and the water and for that Roman soldier being there. So here's Paul in prison, chained to a Roman soldier. And he's trying to tell these Ephesians, you are free. And he looks at this Roman soldier and he begins to say, look, this is kind of what it's like. You see, in Ephesus, that city was known as the light of Asia. It represented what everybody wanted to be. It had the temple of Diana. And this is in this quarter, the light of Asia versus the light of the world. It had this, one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Diana. It was known for its magic, for its healing, for people casting out demons in the name of Diana. It was this huge temple with all this art and these riches. It was like the bank of all Europe in that time. And this little church in Ephesus, they're meeting in homes. They're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by the power because you know what? Satan's world system, it seems pretty impressive. It seems pretty powerful. And he's writing to this church that's meeting in homes and they're little and they're like, we're not anything compared to this and Paul's saying, you know what? You are richer. You have all the blessings, spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And you are more powerful. And when they're reading this, they, were, they knew in their mind that they were, Paul was contrasting the temple of Diana with the temple of God. The church is more powerful than anything of Satan. It is the light of Asia versus the light of the world. And we get to the end of Ephesians, and Paul begins to say, you're rich. You're blessed. You're powerful because the spirit of the Lord lives in you, in his mighty power. And he uses these words, these energizing. It's like TNT. It's mightily. And he uses another word for power. He wants to get across. And he's excited that it doesn't matter what Satan does. You are more powerful. And you must fight. You must shine that light and when you shine that light, darkness will try to prevail, but it cannot overcome Christ's church. 
Are you resolute like Jesus when he was going to the cross? I will lay down my life for the freedom of others. Do you know you're in a fight? A fight for your church, for your children, for your life, that you have an enemy. And Paul says, put on the armor of God. And it's this excited thing he's saying, do it now. There's this imperative in the Greek that says, you can't wait to do this. You are in the battle now. Once you realize it, put on the full armor of God. Take action. Fight. He talks about the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. It will hold you upright. You see, Satan is the deceiver. He's the opposite of truth. He's the father of all lies. He's been lying since the beginning. He's a murderer. And what he wants to do is he wants you to think that it's more attractive, that it's easier just to live the way the world does. Maybe sin is not a big deal. You know, my life is so crazy right now. Maybe following God isn't, isn't cutting it. Kind of like the children of Israel in the desert. They're hungry. They don't know what to do, so they start to doubt God. You know, maybe I should just go back to Egypt and slavery. He wants you to think that you'll be better off by returning to slavery. But you are not a slave to sin. You are not under his power or dominion. Don't love the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of what you do or have. Love God and love others. We have to be a church that loves each other, that makes allowances for each other's faults, because we all have faults. Love each other. Live in the truth. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, because here's the deal. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He is your accuser. He hates you, and he wants to draw out any sins or imperfections you have. But you are righteous and perfect in Christ. Let me read to you in Zechariah. Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Joshua, the high priest, suddenly is up in heaven. And he's standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan is also there, standing at his right side. And what's he doing to this high priest? He's accusing him. And the Lord says to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes, represents his sin, as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Are you clothed in Christ, in his righteousness? Sometimes when, after we're saved, it's, it becomes about being good again. And we live hypocrisy. You are righteous in Christ. You are perfect. You have his righteousness, a new identity, a new life. And for TBA, for our church family, we have to forgive each other. We have to be humble. We have to find people that we can confess our sins to. We have to help each other grow and submit to one another. These aren't easy because we often feel like, well, I'm right. But God is saying, no, love, be humble. It's not easy, but it's what we're called to. And if we don't do it, we give Satan a foothold and we paralyze his church from doing what we need to do out there. Have the spiky piece of the gospel. I love this one. Because they had those sandals with spikes in them. And we think peace is like hippie, like, what on peace, man? 
No, it's spiky. It's dangerous. It holds its ground. It's a foundation that we stand upon, the peace of the gospel. This peace is wholeness. You see, Satan is here to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to rain down chaos in your family, your health, job, and church. But you are reconciled to God. You have, been, you have peace with God in Christ. And there's nothing that can change that. And that spiky sandals stands firm when Satan tries to bring that chaos into your life. You know, in Isaiah it says, when the fires come, you will not be burned. When the flooding waters come, you will not drown. It doesn't mean you're, gonna, you're not going to feel something. You're going to feel it. But God will rescue you. Some of you need to wait and hold on. And right now you don't feel any kind of peace. But don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. You will have trouble. I'm just letting you know. You will have trouble. But God's peace is available. And it's a spiky peace. I like that. And this is cool. The shield of faith. You see, Satan will cause fear that leads to doubt. Is God really good? Then why are those circumstances happening to you then? You know, faith is faith in the unseen. The unseen reality of what God said, his promises, his character. He is true to his word. And it doesn't mean we will go through hard times, but it requires faith. That's what pleases the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We've got to be convinced of his promises and character. And here's the deal. Remember, Satan has schemes, methodical attacks. He knows where to attack you. He knows your weakness. It may be sexual sin. It may be anger. It may be your kids. It may, I don't know. But in those times, you're going to have to have faith. And the last part, as a church, we need to strengthen and encourage each other. Speak God's word into each other's lives. And it, over there it says, the faith formation of the Roman soldier. Have you guys seen Gladiator? It's a cool movie. There's one point where he tells them, he's like, do you know this? It's a maniple formation. And they form this circle and they have their shields because the other gladiators around them, they're trying to kill them, are far more than they can take. But they form this circle with these shields and they defeat this other thing. And this was a common thing in the Roman time that they would circle each other, backs and sides, You see, when Paul's writing about the armor of God, it has application to our individual lives. But Paul's writing to a church to put on the armor of God, a community of Christ to put on the armor of God. There are going to come times of doubt. There are going to come times where you're like, I don't know if I have faith anymore. And if you don't have somebody else around you, a brother or sister in Christ, that you can form that formation where they can hold you up, you're going to be sunk because we're not supposed to do life alone. That armor of God thing is the community of Christ. It's the church. It's the temple of God. People, not a physical place. We have to form that formation around when those arrows come flying at us, those flaming arrows of Satan's. The helmet of salvation. And this isn't just talking about when you knew Christ. You see, Satan wants you to still believe you're a slave. Are you really his sons and daughters? You don't act like it sometimes. That's what he wants you to believe. And just like Eve, the battlefield is in your mind. That's where he got Eve. Did God really say that? The battlefield of your mind. Are you winning that war? 
You see, you have the mind of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. You have a new identity. And you can live in the power of God. And Christ is coming again. Live in the power of God. And we have to be the church. And this is the best one for me. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Here's the deal. Satan wants to distract you from knowing God's word. Because he knows if he does that, you're defenseless. When Jesus and Satan sparred, what did Jesus do? He spoke the word of God back to Satan. That are, those are your battle words. You know, sometimes when you're reading God's word, you're like, man, I'm bored, or it, just, it doesn't apply. But know this, the spirit of God is reading your heart as you're reading God's word, even if you don't think you're getting something out of it. His spirit is reading your heart, and he wants you to hide his word in your hearts. We have to do that by sitting at Jesus' feet and knowing him. Knowing the Lagos. Jesus is the Lagos, the word. And there's another word for the word called Rima. So you can hear the Spirit speak the Rima. God takes his word and he uses his Holy Spirit in a certain circumstance to quicken or to bring to heart or mind so that we'll know what to do in that situation. But if you don't know God's word, how can his Spirit speak his word to you in that moment, in that crisis of faith, in that time when you desperately need to hear from God. We are desperate for God's word. We are hungry and we don't even know it. And the more you feed off it, the more you develop a desire for it. Feed off his words. Live off every word that comes from his mouth. And know this, Christ is victorious. We talked a lot about Satan, but you need to understand he's a defeated foe. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. And I love this part. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. You know, even when Israel was buying their freedom, actually getting their freedom, just recently, I guess, was it in the 40s, 1940s? You've got to help me out, Ruth. You should know these things. It was really common. If you're a general or a captain, you didn't stay in the back. You were the first one in battle. You were the first one in battle. The scripture is saying, look, your captain of your salvation, Jesus, your general, he is the first into battle. See, he leads the charge, and he's first into battle. We must follow him and fight. And he doesn't ask us to go anywhere he hasn't been or can't see us through. God will get you there. But we must fight. Do you know you're in a fight? Do you recognize the strife and the craziness in your life? That those are footholds, those are places where Satan wants to drag you down and drag the church down? Are you buying, purchasing, going out and fighting for the freedom of others? Or are you still a slave when you're truly free? Are we going to the homeless and the poor? Are we giving bread and water? Are we giving spiritual food and drink too in the name of Jesus? Because when we do, we will be in a battle. And you must fight. We have been sitting and thinking so much and God is calling us to slay the dragon. Will you guys pray with me?
And I want to ask Johnny to come back up. Father God, heaven and earth are yours, Lord. Heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. And Lord, all power comes from you. And we know that when we're powerful in you, that your spirit lives in us, that we have all we need for life and godliness. We have all your blessings through Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, help us to rescue as you rescued. Help us to to get freedom for others who are enslaved. But God, help us not to wear guilt around our neck, but to wear freedom. God, help us not to be in our, into our past sins or guilty, but just to say, Lord, I release that to you. Father God, I pray for your spirit's power in our lives, that we would trust ourselves to you. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.